The St Albans Film Guide with Simon Carver, hosted by Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide. Simon Carver, our, our resident host, is here with us. Hello, Simon. How are you? Hi. <laughs> Different greeting? You're changing it up a bit? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Otherwise they might think it's pre-recorded from one week to the next. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, here here um, on the film guide, what we do is we look at uh, Simon's choice of films on free to air TV for the for the week ahead, starting with Friday the fifth of March and moving through to the following Thursday. Uh, and and I pick some choices as well that, that go in there. Uh, but we start things off with looking at Netflix and Amazon Prime and looking at their new releases and uh, one from each this week that we're going to talk about. And the first one I believe is on Netflix. And it comes out on the 10th of March, which I think is next Wednesday. And it's called She Dies Tomorrow. Yeah, no, I'm not quite sure what this is all about, really, because... Um, Those are I the saw, words that someone wants to hear from a review. Yeah, I saw uh, it... I saw one sort of little blurb about it, talking about it as a comedy thriller. But when you read the synopsis, it doesn't sound... There's a lot of comedy in it. Amy is ravaged by the notion that she's going to die tomorrow, which sends her down a dizzying emotional spiral. When her sceptical friend Jane discovers Amy's feelings of imminent death to be contagious, they both begin bizarre journeys through what might be the last day of their lives. Which, you know, doesn't sound a barrel of laughs, but, you know, it... I suppose it might be. It's uh, directed uh, and written by Amy Seametz and stars Kate Lynn Scheel, Jane Adams and Kentucker Audley. What a great name that is, Kentucker. Well, it's made me hungry. That mm. um, okay. Now, now, yeah, it's interesting you're saying about where this falls in terms of the genre because it, it says on hit the screen here plot keywords dying psychological horror contagion infected with fear female protagonist but then underneath it it says genre comedy yeah you know, it, it doesn't sound comedy drama fantasy horror um, is the full listing mm. but yeah it it's just I don't know the pictures and thing it just looks quite disturbing yeah but it does seem to be keep leading with the fact that it's a comedy so yeah, there you what go. do we know? Eh? No. So anyway, that's out on the tenth of March on Netflix. Now over on Amazon Prime, this is quite a big release because, and we're going to get this, I guess, over the coming weeks and months because um, film studios have have been releasing some of their bigger projects on um, on streaming services because of what's going on at the moment with the pandemic and cinemas not being uh, open. And uh, this is probably the biggest one that's been out in quite a while, I would imagine, because this one's been talked about for quite some time and it's um the eddie murphy sequel coming to that's the number two america yeah i mean i was i'm quite looking forward to this so i hope it's it's not a letdown um because it'll be pretty uh, pretty disappointing yeah it it's the, the original story was about uh, eddie murphy's character prince um akim joffa who'd come from Zamuda to America um, with his best friend and aide, Semi, played by Arsenio Hall. And um, he, he falls in love with a, uh, the daughter of a bloke who runs what is effectively McDonald's. And, uh, the, you know, the, but they don't, they don't know who he is. So, you know, it's a classic sort of um, prince falling in love with an ordinary girl and you know but not knowing who they are sort of thing and I mean, all the fish out of water kind of story as well isn't it? it you know because he's come from this african nation where he's been where he's royalty he's treated like a prince, yeah. never has to do anything for himself and suddenly he's he, he's in a, a working class area in in america he's there in is it in queens isn't it in new yeah, york queens yeah and um and yeah. so it, it it's uh it's it's a it's a it's funny. It's a good story. Um, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. I think Arsenio Hall. We don't know too much in this country, but I think he's pretty popular. He's very well known in America. Comic in America, yeah. And I think he had a chat show, or, or he had an Oprah Winfrey type show for many years. Mm. Uh, I think so. I think he was very well known, particularly when the first film came out. I think he was he was almost as famous in America as Eddie Murphy was, but internationally, yeah. I suspect not not so well known. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. it looks like a lot of the same cast are back again. It, yes, I was, I was 
uh, somewhat surprised um, that they what, managed the, to get the the gang back together again. But they, they're they still alive. Done. Well, I, I I must admit I was surprised that James Earl Jones is still alive. Um, you know, he 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 is Ple- pleasantly surprised. Oh, definitely presently surprised. Yeah, I mean he's ninety. Yeah. Now. Um, so I'm I'm guessing he's not doing a lot of dancing and moving around in this, but um, yeah, yeah. So he. He's in it, but but playing the same part. He plays. Well, I don't know quite, quite what part he is playing because I think he's uh, the, uh, the Eddie Murphy's character is now the king, or perhaps he but becomes he, the king through but it. He's still the king's father, isn't he? So I guess you know. And, and, yeah, yeah. But and normally maybe in that in that fictional land, maybe they still refer to that person as the king. Maybe um, you know, like like America, they still refer to former presidents as the president, don't they? That that that's a, a definite possibility. Yes. Mm. Um, Eric LaSalle was in the original. I noticed he's not come back. He's gone on to greater <laughs> things now. Yeah. Um, he he he's a, a director of TV and films and stuff. Um, yeah. So he's not there. But um, yeah, the, the girl that Eddie Murphy marries, she he, she's back again. Uh, Shari Headley. Um, and yeah, so. Because Samuel L. Jackson was in the first one, I've just noted here. Yeah, yeah, very small part. In, very in small the... role. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and Wesley Snipes is in this. I don't think he was in the first one. No. Um, and for some reason, more it doesn't say who he's playing, but Morgan Freeman's in this one as well. All right. Which uh, is quite not, something. He's not playing um, God again, is he? Well, maybe he is. Yeah, Tracy Morgan, Leslie Jones. There, I mean, a lot of um, black acting royalty is in this. Um, and, and one of the things I, I thought was very funny about the first one, and, and they've repeated it this time, the two main actors play lots of different characters. Um, I think, uh, yes, I think got a feeling they're playing the same ones again. Uh, a local barber and his uh, Jewish customer. Um, Eddie Jones plays which is quite funny um, and Arsenio Hall plays a, a, a reverend in a, in a black church and also another customer or worker in the barber shop and um, Eddie Murphy plays Randy Watson a soul singer with the fictional band Sexual Chocolate <laughs> I mean you know um, so yeah I mean you can see I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it and I just hope I just hope it's not going to be a disappointment, but yeah, you know. I was just curious to look up Morgan Freeman. He's only about six years younger than um, James L. Jones. So he's in his eighties, is he? Yeah, Morgan Freeman's eighty-four this year. Okay. Yeah. (coughs) They're all getting on a bit. These people aging, you know, it's weird. Mm. Anyway, that's the that's the big film release that's 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 out. out this weekend. Yes, that's out Friday, isn't it? The 5th of March. Um, mm. or, or, or if you listen to the, this podcast the day it comes out, it's out today. Mm. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's Coming to America, the Eddie Jones sequel. Uh, and um, yeah, we, we have high hopes for Eddie it. Murphy sequel. What did I say? Eddie Jones. Did I? You're thinking of Welsh rugby or, or English rugby. I had no idea there was someone called Eddie Jones. If that's what I said, I, I, I humbly apologise. Well, I think you said Eddie that Murphy. anyway. Unless it was translated in my mind to Eddie Jones, but... Yeah. Um, You'd well, have to listen back. If only this was recorded, we could find mm. out. But yeah. Anyway, we'll be back uh, after this break uh, with uh, Simon's Choices and My Choices of Films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. Don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for the St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Oh, we're back with the second part of this week's uh, St Albans Film Guide and you don't have to hit rewind. We found out during that little break I did indeed say Eddie Jones. I do not know where that came from but I meant Eddie Murphy. 
Um, and thank you to the ever diligent Simon for, 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 for pointing that out and avoiding further confusion by clarifying. So, um, your mic's still on, Simon? Yeah, yeah, just, right. you know, waiting for you to get onto something important. <laughs> wow. All right, let's go straight in then. Friday the 5th of uh, March. Uh, of course, because we're in a new month now, aren't we? Because we last are. month was called... Um, it was called the second month of the year. So, on another on another broadcasting platform, I heard Simon saying that he has difficulty pronouncing that month. So, top tip for you, call it Feb. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well done. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so yeah, no, we're not in Feb anymore. We're now in Mar. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Friday the 5th, of uh, March uh, and Simon's first choice on free to air TV for the week is uh, at 9pm on Talking Pictures TV and it's the the 80s film uh, Alien Nation yeah I was amazed to find this on film yeah I I was surprised it was on Talking Pictures because that's normally a sort of black and white channel for things older than this but um, yeah it's quite it's it's an interesting idea uh, James Kahn and Mandy Patinkin, who is unrecognisable because he's playing an alien. Um, but forget that for a minute, because what this is really about is just it's a buddy buddy cop movie, and and you know they're always a bit different from each other, um, and the way they're different in this one is that one's human and one's not. Um, uh, I think it's only else that's mildly interesting about it is that. James Kahn and Mandy Patinkin feel like they're from different generations. Um, Mandy, bless him, he's like a boy named Sue, isn't it? Um, he is from, uh, he, he's in Homeland, of course. Yeah. Um, which feels very modern. Um, and he was in Chicago Hope, wasn't he? For, he was, for indeed. Whereas James Kahn is very much from a, uh, a generation back I would have thought but anyway well, J- so, James Kahn was big in the 70s and, and Mandy Patinkin seemed to make a name for himself more in the 90s so yeah yeah so this is uh, yeah I mean the alien thing is 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 quite interesting because these aliens are, are, are j- just nice aliens you know they're not horrible at all and um, but obviously some aliens do bad things you know what they're like um coming over here you know well being isn't that part alien. of the subplot of this really? well i think that, it probably is it's very much an allegorical tale i believe I where think it could be an they're allegorical talking about tale. Our prejudices aren't they not an alligator tale because that's very different <laughs> an allegorical tale um yeah so it's yeah it's a it's a buddy buddy cop thing but um, right. with a nice little twist to it Okay. Um, yeah, and and it spawned a TV series, um, which uh, in fact I've just looked up wasn't on for that long, but it seemed like it was on for ever. But I think I guess they just must have kept repeating it ad nauseum for for a while. I don't remember the, the, the TV series, but apparently it wasn't very good. Well, it only lasted one one series, which probably speaks largely for itself. Um, and they recast everybody as well, so uh, completely different actors. But it was the same um, the, the same setup, um, but. Uh, but yeah, I'm just just looking up the two actors' ages because you know you sort of mentioned that it felt like they were different. There's 12 years between them. Um, James Carm was born in 1940, and uh, Mandy Patinkin in 1952. Mm. Um, it feels like there ought to be more, doesn't it? But um, I guess it's because of when they were well known. Yeah, I think is that that, that there were decades between their their, and also James Carm really isn't that well known anymore you know the, the, he, he hasn't really done much of substance for a while um, whereas uh, Mandy Patinkin is in fairly current TV programmes mm. but uh, yeah I, I did see James Khan recently in uh, an episode of Hawaii Five-0 which of course stars his son uh, and he didn't play his father um, but he was this character who really didn't like he played some old detective and uh, and, he's, and and he didn't get on at all with 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 his uh, character who plays his, you know, the character played by his son, and he kept calling his son haircut all the time, which really annoyed him. Okay. Um, but there you go. Um, he said haircut. Your oh, name is Mandel. What, James Khan? Uh, no, Mandy Patinkin. Ah, oh, okay. Um, which is a bit strange. Well, um, well, you can understand why he calls himself Mandy then. That that makes sense. Well, it does make sense. 
Yeah. But he also he's also gone by the name of Mardi Martison, which is a bit of a weird name as well. But yeah. Anyway, there you go. Okay. Alien Nation, 9pm on Talking Pictures TV. Um, it, it, it is a lot like um, those other um, cop, buddy cop films of that era, except, yeah, one's, a, one's a, an American cop and the other one's an alien, and, and it's set in a world where aliens had came to Earth a few years before and had all been sort of integrated into society, but they had um, alien neighbourhoods that they lived in and there was a lot of crime and a lot of prejudice against the aliens who were just trying to make a a living and make a life for themselves in America and and yeah it was quite clear really what the message behind the film was um but anyway uh right my choice though which uh also in the kind of the sci-fi field um 11:55 p.m. over on BBC1 we have the film Source Code uh, a military pilot is the subject of a top secret experiment that transfer transfers his mind into the body of a man killed in a terrorist bombing on a train but only for the last eight minutes of the dead man's life his mission is to use that time to find out who is responsible and if they intend to strike again sci-fi thriller starring jake gyllenhaal uh, michelle monaghan vera farmiga and jeffrey wright and directed by um duncan jones uh, who is the uh, the son of uh, of david bowie uh, and um, this was, I think this was probably his first big film. He did a very critically acclaimed film called Moon, which was a couple of years before, but that was like a very low budget indie film, whereas Source Code felt like a big studio mm. picture. But um, it was very, very well done. And I think with these sorts of things, when there's a little bit of time travel and time shifting going on, it if you can follow it that really is credit to the director who's making that easy for you to follow the the, the, the plot and I think this was this was you know you could follow it well it's because it's quite confusing but but it but it seemed like you could follow it well and and it did I, I remember watching it thinking they've really borrowed very heavily from quantum leap mm. which which used a similar premise of somebody being able to use some sort of technology to go into somebody else's life to to be able to somehow change the outcome of the future and and you know g- gain an insight to what was going on at that time uh, and then uh, partway through it we have a, a cameo from Scott Bakula who starred in Quantum Leap so clearly they they knew what they were they doing knew, yeah yeah and there's I, I knew that you'd choose this because <laughs> I know right. it's one of your favourites well I quite enjoy it but but mm. there wasn't an awful lot else on really so yeah yes um, there were some days this week where th- there was a bit of struggling going on yeah I felt yeah yeah I don't think it's been a great week for no. interesting new titles most of the films that, that that are coming up I don't think there's any film today or this week that we haven't recommended in the past mm. um, and, and yeah I guess it just goes like that sometimes but, but anyway, this is uh, jolly good fun and, um, yeah, an interesting plot and, and great, great uh, film from, from Duncan Jones. That's Source Code, 11.55pm on BBC One. Let's move to Saturday, the 6th of March, 6.45pm on Film 4. Simon's next choice is Gifted. Yes, uh, I'm sure I've chosen this before. Um, Chris Evans plays this uh, widower. Captain America's Chris Evans. Captain America's Chris Evans, yes. Plays not um, Virgin Radio or wherever he is now. Yeah, Virgin Radio. Yeah. Is it Virgin? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he is. Uh, he is this widower who's a, a works as a boat repair man, raising his niece, who is a seven-year-old maths genius. I'm saying he's a widower. That's rubbish, of course, isn't it? Um, it's his sister that's died. Um. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. So, so he's ra- yeah. Yes, yeah. he's raising his niece on behalf of his sister, um, and and the little girl Mary, played by McKenna Grace, is a, a maths genius, as was her mother. Um, Frank wants to make sure that the little girl's childhood is as normal as possible, sends her to an ordinary school, but then gets involved with a custody battle with his uh, mother played by Lindsay Duncan, little girl's grandmother. And she believes that the girl ought to go to a a school where she could be pushed and would realise her potential. And, you know, obviously there's conflict between the two. But it's it's, uh, it's a relatively straightforward film, um, you know, but it's well played by everyone. 
uh, Chris Evans is playing a different sort of character from the one he normally plays. Lindsay Duncan is is not a, a one-dimensional uh, bad guy in this, and is as lovely as ever. And the little girl's very good as well. So all in all, gets a thumbs up from me. Yeah, and uh, I, re- I recall at the time that, that uh, Chris Evans was 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 praised for his performance in this. You know, being known for predominantly you know his superhero performances in the past and playing kind of very heroic but somewhat two-dimensional characters that this was something that really showed a lot more depth to his range Mm, yes thank you good chat yeah 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 well i mean you know i I, i've got nothing to add because that you you know you've hit the nail on the head (laughs) okay film four 6 45 p.m that's the film gifted on saturday the 6th of march uh Earlier on Saturday, uh, 1 p.m. on BBC Two, uh, I have chosen the Ipcress file uh, from 1965. Uh, Michael Caine uh, starring uh, as an intelligence agent. Uh, sorry, sorry, your wife's trying to call me um, for some reason. But anyway, um, right. Uh, anyway, uh, does she not know what you're doing right now and who you're doing it with? I would have thought so, but you know, who knows? I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, the Ipcrest file, an intelligence agent investigating the kidnap and brainwashing of Britain's most renowned scientists, unpicks a complex chain of connections and high-level intrigue while detecting evidence of double-dealing and counter-espionage. Based on Len Dayton's novel starring Michael Caine, Sue Lloyd, Gordon Jackson and Nigel Green. And... uh, this was very much like a an antidote to the Bond films. This was in the mid '60s, where I think in cinema everyone was trying to replicate the success of the Bond films. There were lots and lots of imitations, mm. uh, an awful lot of uh, spy you know, spy films, and the whole spy genre was was just crazy at this time. Uh, and and so the the producer Harry Saltzman, who was one of the producers who made the Bond films, it was him and his partner Cubby Broccoli that. That, that, that made the films um, but he decided to kind of come up with something that was completely at the opposite end of the spy spectrum mm. so rather than some sort of glamorous international um, you know rip-roaring adventure this was something that was very down-to-earth and unglamorous and and just had that that feel of realism to it probably more more, more sort of as it is well, one would imagine so, you know, much like perhaps Le Carre in his his creations, yeah. you know, that that one felt that this was far more sort of a kitchen sink espionage drama than than something with lots of exotic locations and loads of beautiful women and, and uh, you know, a, a leader hell bent on taking over the world and, and, you know, having henchmen and all those gadgets and all the rest mm. of it. This seemed far more down to earth. Um, and... Uh, and it spawned two sequels in the 60s and two more sequels in the 90s, um, all, all with um, Michael Caine. But um, it was, yeah, it, it, it was produced by Harry Saltzman and, and a lot of the production team behind this film were all from the Bond films as well, including John Barry with, with quite an impressive soundtrack. And, and one of the things that they seem to do most really well is, despite the fact it was made by a lot of the same people, it didn't in any way feel like a Bond film. No. Which I guess is quite an achievement when you're doing a 60s spy thing featuring a, a, a British bloke playing a secret agent. I think uh, the it's just the music quite sort of downbeat. Yeah, it was, from I what I remember that. of it, it was like, like John Barry used a lot of particularly with the James Bond theme itself, a lot of twangy guitars. And and I think this was a very early use of sort of electronic music, you know, sort of more of a synthesised sound. I'm trying to remember now. It is... Uh, yeah. It, 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 I, well, I, I can't, it's ages since I've seen it. Um, but it's... It, it, I seem to have that sort of remembrance of it. And it's often listed on. I, I, I was looking up researching this this film just before we started, and it's on the the British Film Institute's top 100 films. Uh, mm-hmm. This one's in there. Yeah, it, you know, this is a very seminal um, piece of work, and, and you know, very uh, you know, very critically acclaimed. And it was commercially a big hit as well. And, and yeah, there was um, there were two sequels. There was oh, I can't remember the names of them now. One was called, was it The Billion Dollar Brain? 
Funeral in Berlin and the Bin and yeah. Donna Brain. Yeah, and then there were two 90s kind of TV movies where um, Michael Caine came back to play Harry Palmer, but but they weren't quite as good, really. But but yeah, the, 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 and this one I think is is quite is considered to be the best of the trilogy, uh, and that's the Ipcrest file. Um, Saturday the sixth of March, one pm on BBC Two. So let's move to Sunday, the 7th of March and um, midnight. So so technically into Monday morning mm. uh, on BBC Two, we have In The Loop. Yeah, it's a spin-off from the thick of it. Uh, Armando Iannucci's TV political satire. Got some of the same uh, actors in it, uh, same characters. Peter Capaldi plays Malcolm Tucker again. Um, Chris Addison plays his uh, assistant. Although he doesn't play the same character that he played. No, he doesn't. He plays a different character, which is a bit weird, isn't it? But yeah, it was somewhat perplexing. I don't know quite why that was. The wonderful Tom Hollander plays a cabinet minister who's sent over to Washington to negotiate uh, with the Americans about some war or other. Um, James Gandolfini plays a a general over there as well. It's always nice to see him. Um, And yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it's quite at the. uh, when it's sort of stretched out too much for the um, for the for the cinema, but um, I mean, you're, it's still you're, very you're funny. The, your, your notes here it says how it transferred seamlessly to the big screen. At, well, yeah, I think it did. It, I think it did quite a good job, and it was it was considered to be quite a good comedy. And and but but I don't know if it quite worked in the same way. But I don't know if that's partly because of the format. That, you know, a, a ninety minute or so movie as opposed to a thirty minute. TV episode, or whether it's the setting, because I think part of the thick of it, the, the beauty of it, was its setting, because it was Westminster, it was behind the scenes of, mm. of Downing Street and, and government, whereas this was set in America. So whilst it still was in that world, it was a completely different location. It was a bit like, I don't know, would, it, would this be like the, the more modern equivalent of something like Holiday on the Buses? Where they well, I, I was just thinking that, or, or what's the one where Morecambe Wise go to Australia or something? Yeah, or are you being served? Whether at the Costa del yeah. Costa Lotta or whatever it was called, yeah. you know, and you know, to take them out of their setting into something Indeed. else, does it work or not? Yeah, but I mean, it does say in my notes that um, the events culminated at the United Nations in New York, um, but the more glamorous international backdrops never subtract from what made the thick of it so compulsive. Okay. Well, and, and, you know, being sort of, I guess, having the same people behind both helps it to retain its its authenticity to the original, you know, that Armando Iannucci's writing and directing, um, you know, was, was sort of there, evident. It certainly feels like it's part of the same body of work, mm. albeit, albeit a slightly different art form. But anyway, um, it is your choice. You must stand it is. by it. It is my yeah. choice, and I'm very happy with it. <laughs> so that's that's midnight uh, on on. Well, so that's technically in the Monday morning. Yeah. But, but very very late Sunday night on BBC Two. That's in the loop. Uh, a bit earlier on Sunday night, 9 p.m. on Film Four. I have chosen three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Now. I've chosen this because you've chosen this on a few times, a few occasions in the past, Simon. But as with the film last week, I've now seen this since you've uh-huh. been recommending it. So I felt I'm now qualified to to say if it's any good or not. And? and well, obviously and, you think it is. Otherwise, you wouldn't have chosen it, would you? Well, you'd already picked In The Loop. So, mm. no, 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 it, it's, it's a very good film. Um, the story, if you're not familiar with it, uh, grieving mother Mildred Hayes has suffered an unimaginable personal loss and hatches an idea that drags the residents of Ebbing, Missouri into a maelstrom of revenge. She pressures Sheriff Bill Willoughby and his forces into continuing the investigation into her daughter's murder. It becomes an obsession that has dramatic repercussions for all of the locals. Uh, Martin McDonagh's BAFTA and Oscar-winning prime drama starring Frances McDormand, uh, Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson. And, and it is, it's, it's such a... Yes, yeah, such powerful performances. Um, that, you know, those three are, are, are magnificent. Frances McDormand is great as this grieving mother. Sam Rockwell as this, well, what what appears to be a really horrible, um, bigoted cop, uh, lazy and 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 prejudiced, and 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 that you feel like to begin with, he's that cliche of a, of of the bad, you know, redneck local cop that you see in many a movie. Yeah. 
but his performance is so much more than that and the character is way more nuanced than that and Woody Howison as well you know his, his character is wonderful you know and at first you sort of feel like he, he just doesn't care he just wants anything for the easy life and then as it as it rolls on you, you realise that that's not who he is either and, and he's not what he appears um, And but also in, in all of that it isn't that heavy a film there's a lot of light touches to it a lot of humorous moments and that, that I think in life you you get this in some of the darkest moments sometimes there's there's something funny you know you can you can you know often we, we can laugh at something in a really dark time and and I think this this finds the light in in, in this in the darkness of, of the events of this movie um, and, and also I think it's without any kind of spoilers it's interesting that no one appears to be the cliche that they set out to be. You know, the, the, all the characters have way more depth to them. It's not. It's not easy just to, to to use one sentence to describe to describe them. And and I think that 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 makes this work really well. Um, and it, it looks beautiful as well. It, it's the setting of it. This small town. You, you you really get the feeling that this is a big place and it's a small place all at once. You know, geographically it's spread over a, a large area, but it is a small town. And 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 yeah, I, th- I think it's um, you know beautifully paced and and wonderfully acted. Yeah, I mean it's. It, it, I think you think it's going to be one thing, and then it turns out to be something else, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, very much so. And, and the characters that you think they are one thing, and then it, they're not quite what you first thought they were. They don't go through a, ma- a dramatic transformation. It's just you you learn more about them as the film goes on. And it shows also, I guess, that all of them felt human. That none of them seemed to be felt like a caricature. No, I think it was a very deserved Oscar winner. Mm. So that's um, that's three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Great title as well. Uh, and um, that's 9pm on Film 4, Sunday 7th of March. So let's move to Monday the 8th of March, 6.50pm on Film 4. And you've chosen Bell. Yeah, I mean, I've chosen this one before. It's, it, it's uh, an interesting sort of true story. It's it's based really on a, on a painting in, uh, in a... A, uh, a country house somewhere I'm saying a country house it may not actually be a country house now I've said that it may be a uh, a townhouse a grand house let's say that it's set in the the late 18, 18th century um, Dido Bell is the illegitimate child of a slave and nobleman when the nobleman dies he the, the, the girl is taken as a ward by her what is effectively her great uncle Lord Mansfield who was a real person and was a Lord Chancellor and is played here by Tom Wilkinson who is playing a Brit for a change because he plays American quite often nowadays doesn't he um, and um, it, what Gugu Mbatha Raw plays Dido Bell by the way I didn't mention that it, it's a bit different from the usual Jane Austen stuff set at this sort of time um, because it's it's written in the modern day for one thing um, and the other interesting thing about it is that it presents uh, the, the presents a situation which you may not expect which is that Dido Bell because she is the ward of a, a wealthy man is actually higher up the pecking order than a white girl who's got no money behind her the, the whole um, Bridgerton th- th- thing is sort of going on here and it, it does feel like a more serious version of Bridgerton uh, I, I guess the, the slave trade lies behind it in the, 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 the story that or the case that the Lord Chancellor is dealing with is about the, the, the loss at sea of uh, not passengers but cargo because that's what slaves were treated as cargo from a slave ship and, and about the whether the company could claim insurance on it so that was that's the sort of story that lies behind it and it, it the, the real life case of this this slave ship is said to have been one of the things that put us on the path towards getting rid of the transatlantic slave trade in 1833 I think um, I may, may have got that date wrong I think it was 1833 anyway 
So that's um, that's the film Bell, and that's on 6.50pm on Film 4 on Monday the 8th of March. Uh, a bit later Monday night, 11.40pm over on ITV4. I've chosen the film. And in fact, I'm saying that I don't think there are any films this week we haven't chosen before. Mm. I have a feeling we may not have chosen this one before. Okay. Um, but you might well correct me now. The film is Eight Mile, uh, starring Eminem. I don't think so. No. I don't so think I would have chosen it. No, well, I know you quite like your your, your urban white rap type thing, don't you? But um, no, <laughs> that will come as a surprise to the listener. Um, a white rapper strives to make a name for himself on the music scene, but his deprived home life on a Detroit trailer park and romantic complications put a damper on his plans as he struggles to win over the crowds and earn the respect of his peers. Drama starring Eminem, Kim Basinger, Mackay uh, Pfeiffer and Brittany Murphy. And and this was a something of a surprise um, to, to sort of showing that the, the the talent of 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 Eminem, you know, that up until this point was was known as a as a as a rap artist, as a very very prolific, prominent rap artist, but suddenly um, was um, you know was showing a, a, a wonderful um, you know ability as a, as an actor, admittedly playing a effectively a version of himself maybe is not that much mm. of a stretch but but nonetheless you know it was a performance that i don't think people were expecting uh, it won an oscar uh, it won for uh, best uh, original song for the, the the song lose yourself uh, which was um, which was also a big hit for eminem at the time uh, it got an awful lot of other um uh, you know um, it you know, got a lot a lot of other um, award nominations as well when it came out and it was uh, directed by, and I'm just double checking that I've got the right guy here now, uh, directed by Curtis Hansen, who did LA Confidential, of course, um, amongst other things. Um, and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle was him as well. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it, you know, it's really good. And watching this this movie, seeing the the, the, the harrowing uh, life that this guy was leading and, and, and you know, the, the poverty with which he, he, he lived in and how he was determined to try to use his talent to break out. In some ways, that's not that original a story for a movie. That's happened lots of times before. Um, you know, Rocky is not dissimilar to that, but, but rather than boxing, this is rapping, you know, but, but, but the guy had a talent and he believed that if he could, if he could prove himself, it might make a difference in his life. And, 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 yeah, but a particular standout performance, I think. Not a lot was mentioned of her at the time, but but Kim Bassinger playing his mum was, was particularly good. Um, she, uh, you know, playing a very different type of character to to, to to anything she'd done before at that point. Um, you know, playing playing this very sort of working class woman who who was not very nice, really. And and you know, show, you know, and this guy had as many problems with his mum as he had with everything else in his life. Mm. But uh, but yeah, um, have you ever seen this film? I I think I might have seen clips from it, you know, because it's the sort of thing that would be clipped because of the music in it, I guess. Um, is Stan in this? Uh, the, the song? Yeah. Uh, no, but I think that came out. Well, it was probably a similar time when it right. came out. Right. Um, yeah, the, the only song I remember from it is the one that won the Oscar, Lose Yourself, um, which uh, I think beyond that, I don't, I can't remember if there were other songs in there that were particularly mm. well known as being his songs or okay. whether they were ones specifically just performed in the movie. Um, but yeah, 8 Mile, uh, Monday the 8th of March, 11.40pm on ITV4. We move to Tuesday the 9th of uh, March, 2.55pm on Film 4, Samson and Delilah. Yeah, no, I don't think I've chosen this one before. No, um, that's a fair point. No, you haven't. <laughs> uh, directed by uh, Cecil B. DeMille, and um, it got Oscars for sets and costumes, but, but uh, not surprisingly, not for acting. Um, Victor Mature stars as Samson and Eddie Lamar as Delilah, uh, the famous biblical story. Um, and um, George Sanders is there uh, as, as a villain. Wow, he'd have to be a villain, wouldn't he? Does he play anything else? He played the saint in the 1940s. Oh, we that's true. this before. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, largely known largely as known as sort of cads and villains. Yeah, he, he has got a sort of oily voice, hasn't he? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, uh, it's, you know, if you like your biblical epics. And, and Cecil B. DeMille did make a few of them. I mean, his films look sumptuous and epic and, and worthy, but, but sometimes I think they were style over substance, and this is probably a good example of that with, with largely dire performances you know one or two standout exceptions perhaps but 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 on the whole you know his main leads were particularly wooden and um yeah and yet it didn't it didn't do much to hold the film back you know having such dire performances in it didn't seem to stop it really you know this was still a a big uh, you know big film perhaps possibly because of Cecil B. DeMille's name and, and what he had done before and then what he went on to do that that this film was held up higher than it would have been otherwise you know because there were films either side of it that were that were considered to be quite good yeah yeah i mean it's and it i mean while it is a it's a sort of a quite a sort of a it's a biblical story that it would it's you could see why it would be screened it's it's not the greatest story ever told um in both senses of the word <laughs> yeah, which for those who don't know, of course, was one of his other movies. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, yeah, because he also did that. Is it the Ten Commandments was him? Um, Sunset Boulevard. Um, he he worked on some pretty big big other um, films of that time, didn't he? Oh yeah, um, producer yeah, and director. He was a yeah, a big man in film. Yeah, um, Cleopatra. Um, he did, well, it, but not the not the most famous ver- version of Cleopatra. But he did an earlier version of it. I just just, just read on my screen. Anyway, Samson and Delilah, two fifty five um, on Film Four. If you're looking for a sword and sandal epic, and that's Tuesday the 9th of March at ten fifty five p.m. on Tuesday the 9th of March. And I'm not entirely sure now if I've ever picked this film before, but the film is Firefox. A former US Air Force pilot comes out of retirement for a top secret mission to go undercover to go undercover behind the Iron Curtain and steal a high-tech Soviet fighter plane that is invisible to radar and equipped with, get this, a thought-controlled weapon system. Mm-hmm. Cold War action adventure directed by and starring Clint Eastwood with Freddie Jones, David Huffman and Warren Clark. And it really was silly, the, 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 the notion of this. So he, so he was taken out of um, retirement because he was the only person who, who knew how to fly this plane. And part of it was that it was controlled by thought, but he had to think like a Russian because it was a Russian plane. So it wasn't just about thinking in Russian, but, but about thinking like a Russian. And so Clint was the only man for the job. So Obviously. Um, yeah, so it's very much an, an espionage Cold War kind of thing. But but also with a little bit of sort of sci-fi high tech stuff in there because of this this super duper jet plane that that um, he was stealing, um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 quite good. The 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 actual um, the the sort of the, the big dogfight at the end, you know, the, the 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 thing where you know with the um, the all the airplane stuff, all the um, aerial footage uh, is particularly good. And this was a couple of years before Top Gun. Uh, so it, it, it was, you know, I, th- I think the, the techniques that they used probably were bettered by Top Gun, but but looked fairly good nonetheless. Um, if you can get over this preposterous idea that that Clint Eastwood could basically fly the plane with his with his brain, um, but but it kind of when you're watching it, it's far more believable than it sounds. Um, yeah, because uh, now you wouldn't need to do that; you'd just fly it remotely, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, like I can't. Remote control cars feeling, and, you know. Well, yeah. So I think at the time, I think, actually, I'm saying he flew it with his brain. He didn't. It was that he could control the weapon system with his brain. So he flew it in the conventional manner. But but to be able to then, like, if it, they're being attacked and being chased and him, you know, being able to fire back and things like that, that was all thought controlled. Right. And, and, and yeah, that mm. was. I have seen it. Um, okay. Uh, but I remember nothing about it. <laughs> well, he's basically Clint Eastwood's made two sci-fi films, and he made this, and he swore he'd never make another one. Apparently, that the, the he's, he's always prided himself that his films have come in um, ahead of schedule and under budget, and this one was over budget and and delayed, and right. it was all down to the the effects that all took way longer to to, okay. to produce than he anticipated, and he said never again, and then about twenty years later he did another one. 
Um, but anyway, Firefox is the film. Uh, 10.55pm on ITV4, Tuesday the 9th of March. We move to Wednesday the 10th of March, 9pm on Film 4. And uh, we've picked this once or twice. It's Taken. Yeah, it's a film that people may not have heard of. Um, Liam Neeson plays this middle-aged action hero um, <laughs> in, in a gritty thriller. Uh, it's directed by um, uh, Pierre Morel, um, and it's ha- it's got uh, influence from uh, Luc Besson. It, it is a sort of it has a very much a European feel to it. Um, so it's slight it's slightly interesting um, from well, that point well, of I mean, view. It's made by European yeah people. It's written by Luc Besson. It's directed by uh, I believe a French director. It's it's set in Europe. You know, except for one or two of the principal actors, it's pretty much they're all European. So I guess yeah. it, it is a European movie, yeah. really. It, it's pretty violent. I mean, basically, the plot is that um, Liam Neeson's daughter is kidnapped by uh, are they are they Albanian gangsters? Probably. Yeah, I can't remember European and, um, gangsters. Yeah, and it, and 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 he's a man with special skills, and will get them back, get her back, and that's basically it, really. But it, it, it does it extremely well um, and spawned a couple of sequels and also a TV series, which is like a prequel. Because it, okay. it, it's different from from this in that it, it, it Liam Neeson, is, <laughs> with the best will in the world, it, he's got an interesting action hero, but he is, he's a bit plodding let's say a little bit long in the tooth isn't he he's a bit plodding whereas now, now we going back to that age thing again I wonder how different in age he is from um, Tom Cruise um, we could probably find that out if, if my, we wanted to my but, guess would be he would be <coughs> five or so years older but uh, maybe but he whereas Tom Cruise still does the business and, and, and does the running and arms pumping thing uh, pretty successfully Liam Neeson reminds me a bit of um, you know one of these sort of older football managers like Neil Warnock or somebody T- Tom uh, running Cruise up down the touchline <laughs> Tom Cruise is 10 years younger is he? Is yeah he? 1962 right. Tom Cruise was born um, 1952 Liam Neeson okay okay so that makes him what 1952 so he's what 69 this year uh, yes. Um, yeah. Although, of course, when this was made, he would have been uh, considerably younger because it was made 14 yeah. years ago. So he'd have only been in his mid fifties then. Um, but anyway, but, but, anyway. But also, is there not a difference between? All right, so and Tom Cruise is in his mid fifties now. Yeah. But, but there's a difference in that Tom Cruise has always done this sort of thing. Yes. And, and whereas for Liam Neeson, this was quite a departure, really. He hadn't done this sort of thing before, not really. Um, and also, the, the, it, it kind of like launched a genre because I think following this, there were a lot more films with with older action heroes, yeah. you know, doing their thing again. Mm-hmm. I mean, not least some of the ones from yesteryear came back and did stuff. You know, the, the Expendables franchise was probably built off the back of the success of Taken. Yeah, um, yeah it could be, could be. Yeah, Stallone went back and did Rambo his fourth Rambo film a couple of years after Taken so those things must have been connected in some way I think I mean one of the things that I think is is the sort of standout from from this is the uh, is the famous phone message um, which uh, if I could only sort of remember what it is but uh, um, it, it's the answering machine message is, is rather good but yeah, because for those who don't know, there's a bit where his so his daughter's about to be kidnapped. She's hiding under a bed. The terrorists are about to kick the door down, and she phones her dad. and And the way that he speaks to her, and and the the, the coldness and the matter of fact nature of what he tells her, and then what he says to the 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 the, 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 the terrorists themselves, it's pretty chilling stuff. Yeah, the the, the particular set of skills thing is, um, yeah, I mean it is it is fairly. Fairly impressive. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career, 
skills that make me a nightmare for people like you if you let my daughter go now that'll be the end of it I'll not look for you I'll not pursue you but if you don't I will look for you I will find you and I will kill you that wasn't actually an excerpt from the film that was Simon recounting that in case you were wondering Mm. then Um, but yeah Simon Neeson Carver as he's known Uh, but anyway that's Taken which is which is Simon's choice uh, on um uh, on Wednesday the 10th of March 9pm on Film 4 uh, also uh, on Wednesday the 10th of March 10pm uh, over on ITV4 I was saying how Clint Eastwood has only ever done two sci-fi movies in his career mm. this is the other one Space Cowboys from the year 2000 uh, a former Air Force test pilot who was sidelined from space exploration because of his difficult character is recruited 40 years later to help America's post-Cold War Russian allies. Teaming up with three fellow veteran airmen, he uses his expertise in navigation to stop a malfunctioning Soviet satellite from crashing to Earth. Adventure directed by and starring Clint Eastwood with Tommy Lee Jones, James Garner, Donald Sutherland and James Cromwell. And... It is. It is a very. Um, it, it's a. It's a fun movie. I mean, I don't know if you go so far as to say it was a comedy, but it certainly mm. has some very humorous moments in it. Oh yeah. And you know, and the, the, you know the whole premise of these these four, four very old men, being dragged out of their retirements to go and um, train for a space mission, mm. and and watching them go through the training academy and and the humour that sort of was derived from them sort of you know jogging past people who are a, a, a fraction of their age and and pretending that it's not half killing them you know mm. so, oh no i could go for a few more miles if you want you know and, yeah and, and and lots of humor derived from 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 these old guys and also quite kind of poignant because it, there was also a message in there that like don't write somebody off just because they're old you know that, that, that they still had something to offer um the only to me the only misstep in this movie i think was the casting of tommy lee jones who i think is about 20 years younger than everyone else and yet is expected to be we're expected to believe that he was a contemporary of clint eastwood's yeah he does, he's got a sort of a lived-in look about him though hasn't he <laughs> he does yeah but but all the same you know, we, we're expected to believe and they did footage from 40 years before and they had different actors playing their younger selves mm. And we're expected to believe that these two guys would be approximately the same age. They'd been through training together, were 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 were, were rivals, um, and yeah. And then all these years later, they've never spoken since. And and working it out, Tommy Lee Jones would have been a child at the in the era that the early bits of the film were set. And I'm sure you're looking this up now, but my guess would be that Tommy Lee Jones is in his early seventies now, and um, Clint Eastwood is nearly ninety. Tommy Jones is 74. And Clint Eastwood must be late 80s. Uh, Clint Eastwood is 90. 90. Mm. Well, is so, he yeah, one of those so, that's the same? That there's a bunch of them that are... Uh, oh, yeah, we've, we've discussed this before. Yeah, pretty we? much there's, the same age. Oh. Yeah. Um, but but yeah so so and and in fact having seen this film I really enjoyed it and Tommy Lee Jones is good it's just I I felt I didn't believe that he was this I don't know like I said I just felt he was a bit miscast the person I thought would have been perfect to have played his rival and his his um, you know his adversary would have been um, uh, Burt Reynolds I think would have been perfect in that role I think I could have well believed that those two were, were young rivals and, and had not spoken in 40 years and and but but somehow had to bury their you know bury the hatchet and put aside their differences to work together for for the common goal. Mm. I mean he would but, be a but, similar age. Yeah. Um, if he'd lived he'd be 85 or yeah. 84 now. So And he was still and he was certainly still alive back then and was it, that was not long after um, Boogie Nights, so he was certainly active back then. But, but of course, they didn't ask me about the casting. So, yeah, yeah. what do they know? Uh, eh? But, but James Garner and Donald Sutherland are particularly delightful in this. Donald Sutherland is very, very funny, um, and 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 James Garner brings you know the, the, the charm that he brings to most of his roles. Uh, and, and, and James Cromwell's particularly good as well as as the boss and the guy who was their boss forty years before. 
and and he's still working in that agency and and you know there's something shady about the guy and and as the film goes on you sort of realize the double dealings that have been going on behind the scenes i'm looking at the films that um burt reynolds was making at this time and i don't recognize any of them number of them say direct to dvd see burt reynolds was he he once said in an interview that he had an appalling choice of movies that he had the opportunity to be in some of the best movies of, of, of his era and he turned them down for atrocious ones. He apparently was offered Terms of Endearment and he turned it down for The Cannonball Run. And, um, he, he, you know, he had shocking choice of films. And then, then one of the films he did, which was his most critically acclaimed, which was Boogie Nights, he fired his um, agent for getting him such a bad movie and he ended up winning an Oscar for it. And apparently, right up until his death, he'd never seen Boogie Nights. He didn't want to see it. He said it was, it was an atrocious experience and he can't imagine that a good movie could possibly have come out of it. Right. And couldn't believe that he'd got an Oscar. Because mm. he was in the film of Dukes of Hazard. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, he was Boss Hog. He was indeed. <laughs> he was another awful one. I mean, he... Because it's... It's also it's 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 a real shame. He did um, Piers Morgan's life stories, and it was really tragic to see what he had become, and how he was the biggest. He, I think he was the biggest film star of the seventies in terms of box office, closely followed by Clint Eastwood. And yet, by the eighties, he was a washed-up joke, and and was doing you know straight-to-video stuff, and and couldn't really get get in proper like you know mainstream Hollywood movies anymore. Mm. And and you know and and he, the bitterness that he showed in, in that interview, all, all that he talked about, he, he said he was no longer bitter, but he said he had so much resentment and mm. bitterness towards contemporaries of his that he felt he deserved the careers that they had. And like Clint Eastwood, who was also one of the biggest stars of the '80s, and then was one of the most prolific filmmakers of the '90s, and is still a force in Hollywood. Um, whereas Burt Reynolds, you know, he, he's 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 the, the 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 star went out far sooner. But anyway, yeah, it's he's not sad. in this film. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah, terrible. Also said the love of his life, and they're talking about all of his his women, and, and, and you know, he's quite the famous Lothario back in the day. And he said that to, to his... And this, this interview he did with Piers Morgan was not long before he died. And he said the one that got away, the love of his life was Sally Field. And, and the way he talk, spoke about her, it was heartbreaking to watch because he said he's, he messed it up, he kept having affairs, he kept... You know, being being the high-profile guy that everyone expected him to be, and and he lost the love of his life because of it. But uh, anyway, that's uh, that's not anything really to do with the film that I recommended there for Wednesday night, 10 p.m. on ITV4, which is Space Cowboys. So we move to Thursday, the 11th of March, and Simon's final choice for the week, 4:25 p.m. on uh, Sony Movies Classic. It's the way we were. No, I don't think I've ever chosen this one. Um, really? Okay. I don't think so. I mean, this is peak Robert Redford, uh, I think, 1973, I would say. Right. It feels like the type of thing you'd have chosen before it if does, you've not actually it? chosen this specifically. Yeah, a glossy romantic drama. Barbara Streisand and Robert Redford, the ideal odd couple. She's poor, um, flaky, Jewish, and a radical. He's rich, self-assured, Gentile, and conservative. Uh, the relationship is set against the backdrop of a changing America, including the McCarthy era witch hunts, and every scene seems dreamed up by a dating agency computer, though the sheer professionalism of the picture and the performances can't fail to touch you. Um, he it seems like a character hewn from the pages of F. Scott Fitzgerald, and is perfectly cast, and Streisand, Streisand is simply Streisand, and James Woods is in an early role as well. Okay. Because uh, um, Redford did play um, uh, Scott Fitzgerald's big character. The, the Gatsby, wasn't Gatsby. he? In the Great Gatsby. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's uh, that's the way we were. Um, and Stryden sung the theme tune as well. Yes, yeah, so I remember the, the, the song, the, a title of a song that I'm sure was sung by her rang a bell with me. So, yeah, so there was a song called The Way We Were. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's 4.25pm on Sony Movies Classic, The Way We Were, Thursday the 11th of March. My final choice of the week, 
11.05pm on Film 4, Split. Um, couldn't really get much more different in tone from the way we were. Um, but this is uh, M. Night Shyamalan. And um, this is uh, starring uh, James McAvoy. A great performance from him. Uh, and after being inducted... After being abducted by a kidnapper with multiple personalities, three young women are soon engaged in a fight for survival. Meanwhile, an oblivious psychiatrist tries to ease her patient's fractured mind as a 24th character with apparent superhuman abilities attempts to dominate his body. M. Night Shyamalan's thriller starring James McAvoy, Anya Taylor-Joy and Betty Buckley. And, and, and this is a... This is a real sort of tense thriller, and and the performance from from um, James McAvoy as these uh, as this person with all these multiple personalities, and the way that that he's able to 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 flip between one to the other was, was you know it was just jaw jaw dropping and um, yeah yeah wonderful that because it, in some ways he didn't he didn't change much but suddenly you just notice he slightly changed his facial expression and then a bit of an accent and mm-hmm. and, and and suddenly he's completely transformed into somebody else they didn't seem to use many gimmicks or or or, or, or any kind of special effects to make him different um, and and the way that one of his personalities had abducted these women and then they were trying to appeal to one of his other personalities to help them escape uh, you know it is quite a you know, it was, it was you know quite quite a story. I, uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I've never seen this. Okay, I know it's one of your favourites. It, it's it, it, Unbreakable's in this sort of sequence, isn't it? Well, well, so that's the there you go. I can't be accused of ruining that now. So so that so with with um, Shyamalan's films, often there's there's a big twist somewhere toward the end, and, and it, often you, you know p- people have been trying to work out what the twist was. Well, with this. The twist is in the post-credit scene, where it turns out it's part of. It's in fact a continuation of Unbreakable, because in that post-credit scene, um, there's uh, a a diner, and on the TV in the background behind the counter in the diner, it's showing a news story, showing the events that you've just watched in the movie, and um, looking up from his cup of coffee is Bruce Willis, dressed as the character he played in Unbreakable, showing that this was actually part of that. Mm. you know this was a continuation of that and it was set in the same world and then there was a sequel to this not long after at all called Glass Mm. which was um, Bruce Willis and James McAvoy and Samuel L. Jackson and Samuel L. Jackson reprising his character from um, uh, from Unbreakable so if you haven't seen these films you need to see them in the right order well so Split was in no way marketed as a sequel to Unbreakable and so you could watch it as a standalone movie because it is only the the post credit scene mm. where you just see Bruce Willis's mm. character in it so you didn't you wouldn't have needed to have you could almost watch this one first and then if you're curious as to what he was doing it and why that was relevant go back and watch the other one um, but you would need to see both of them before you saw the third one okay so this works on its own and unbreakable works on its own um, but but yeah you know and, and this is very good I, I think with with Shyamalan I think he's a great filmmaker but sometimes I think I think he's very hit and miss think he gets it he, some of his films he gets it very right and in others i think really miss the mark yeah, yes the he's, he's um yeah i think that that's very true and i think uh, i think a lot of his films have been uh, quite heavily criticized um well, i think he tries to be very clever and i think sometimes he pulls it off but he doesn't always i think you know you look at the sixth sense which was which was a remarkable film this which is very good and unbreakable before that which was very good um but then there was the uh, was it called the village i thought you see i thought the village was really good mm, okay um and i mean i, I suppose partly because i thought it was really good because um i didn't see where it was going let's i won't even say any more than that but um i thought it was good yeah okay See, with the village, in the f- uh, there was something in the opening minutes that made me guess what was going on. Right. And then all the way along, I could kind of... Th- and if you know that, you're sort of thinking, yeah, you know, you're, you're getting things along the way that confirms that you might be right. And and, and I, I think if... And I don't know what it was that made me think that, because I'm not really very good at working out where films are going. I often get pleasantly surprised. And uh, when I realised what the, the big reveal was going to be, what the twist was... It, it did change it somewhat, and I suspect if I hadn't known that, maybe I'd have been more enthralled by it. Um, but but anyway, 
that's um the, the, the film my final choice of the week is split thursday the 11th of march 11:05 p.m on film four so that just leaves the film of the week and simon what would be your choice of all those movies if people someone could only watch one of them what would it be i'm gonna say taken <laughs> okay i right, see i could watch that again and again no that that's that's a good reason um if, yeah okay um taken is simon's choice i mm, see see the problem is when you pick as many good films as i've picked this week it's difficult to, to narrow it down but i think i'm going to go with the ipcrest file okay because it's quite possibly one that somebody may not have seen for a very long time if ever i think that's a very good point so uh so taken and the ipcrest file are our films of the week simon you're back on sunday with um the on a on another podcast that's part of this network it's mm. the Dagnall Street Baptist Church virtual service yep. and um, anything you want to tell us about Sunday um, yes it's going to be about um, Christians and protest uh, it, the, 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 the biblical theme is the the scene in which uh, Jesus drives out money changers from the temple uh, turning those tables over indeed yeah that's it okay mm. alright find out more by um, listening to uh, Sunday's episode which is out coming out Sunday morning about 8.30 you can listen to it through the website stalbanspodcast.com or you can subscribe to it uh, through any podcast platform of choice. Just look for Dagenham Street Baptist Church or look for St. Albans Podcast or look on our website to see how you can subscribe. Lots of different ways you can do it. You have no excuses. Um, so, uh, Simon, thank you very much. You're welcome. And uh, we'll catch you about the same time next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Don't know why I waved then. No one could see that. No. And I wasn't watching anyway, so, you know...